Would you pray with me this morning? Father, there's, there are days where it's just hard to wrap our minds around your costly love for us at the cross and the sending of your Son in our place and for our sins. That he who received oppos- such opposition from sinful men not only received it from them, but for them. And Father, that's just an amazing thought to wrap our minds around. That we who are by nature rebels, that we want to run and distance ourselves from your sovereign and saving rule. That you would come after us. That you would pursue us. And that you would lavish grace upon us. And so, Father, those of us who are on, who have crossed the line of faith and have come to believe the testimony of Jesus according to the witness of the Spirit, that He is the one whom You have sent to deal with the sin in our lives and in our world. God, for us, we say thank You. And we can never say thank You enough. And even in the song, as we reflect on the lyric this morning and as we lift our hearts and voices, we can never say thank You enough. And if we owned everything that you've created, if you had put it all into our hands, God, to give it all back to you would not be enough. And so, Father, as, we, as that truth settles on our hearts and our minds this morning, I pray, God, that it would set us free. Set us free from the attempts that we make in order to... Uh, bring you our actions and our merits, but God, we recognize that everything comes down from you, and so we give everything back to you. God, it would set us free from trying to hold on to areas of our life that we have yet to relinquish and we've yet to surrender, and God, that we would lay those things down as an offering, not in order to, for you to receive us, but because you have in the perfect offering of Christ. So God, I pray this morning as we open your word together, I pray that you would help us continue to make a shift in our thinking and our acting and our living and our, both our beliefs and our behaviors, our character and convictions. God, that we would shift from fans of being fans of Jesus to being followers of Jesus who say, sign me up to choose him above and before anything and anyone else in life. So, Father, in this time, may your spirit move, may it convict as your word is opened and point us to your son. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can grab a seat, and if you've got a Bible, you can open to John. Uh, chapter 15 is where we're going to be this morning. And if you're new with us, we've been working through a series called Fan or Follower. We've been taking a look at some of the distinctive um, differences between what it is to just be a fan of Jesus who kind of clamors around him and takes a look at him and listens to some of his teaching and likes the fact that he can do some really cool things to truly being a follower of Jesus who's willing to say, sign me up to lay my life down, to die to myself, to take up my cross, an instrument of death, to put to death my dreams and desires, my hopes and aspirations, the things that I'm pursuing and clamoring after in life, in addition to putting aside all those things that I would, 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 would repulse me and that would disgust me and saying, if God's calling me to that, if God's calling me to something that's really hard, I'm willing to lay my life down for, for his sake. 
And so we've been working through some of those distinctive character traits or birthmarks of true followers of Jesus. And this morning we come to a text in John chapter 15. We're going to read verses 12 through 27 together. And if you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along because we'll refer back to it when we come back to unpack it. If not, you can follow it on the screen as we read together. But in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 12, Jesus turns to his disciples, those that he had chosen, those that he had called to himself. And this is what he says. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have. Have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You know, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father." But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, unless your head has been buried in the sand for the last 15 years, uh, what you've probably noticed is the, the landscape of our land is changing around us talked about this a couple of months ago, but what's taking place in our land right now, in our nation right now, is that we have begun, or the the shift from a culture in which reinforced many of the, at least externally on the surface, reinforced many of the values and norms of Scripture has begun to shift and take upon a polarizing position to the values and norms of Scripture. And unless your head's been buried in the sand, right? if you look at any social media feeds or if you look at the evening news or you check out some articles online, you'll, you've seen this. It's been big news all across the pages of newspapers in our nation, the leading headlines every, every evening that the, uh, the land in which we live is currently trending further and further and further away from the, from the type of a culture uh, that the scriptures envision being birthed within the life of Jesus' church. And so it's creating these, this, 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 this distinction that's beginning to give clarity to who is it that belongs to Jesus and who is it that doesn't belong to Jesus. It's beginning to create a line there. It's as if there's a boulder in the middle of the river and the current's going one way, right? And then the boulder's diverting some water down a smaller channel as it begins to trickle and cut away over the course of time. And so it's beginning, the, the, the boulder of Jesus has fallen into the river and it's saying it's going to divide you one direction or the other. 
And so what's happening in that, our culture as it begins to trend in that direction is it's beginning to take what I would call the kind of Twinkie cream-filled center nominal, of nominal Christianity. Those who are kind of fans of Jesus, who've kind of been on the fringes and they maybe like some of the things Jesus says about things that are kind of their pet projects, but they don't necessarily like what he says about who he is as God and that he must be submitted to and yielded to and all of our allegiance and loyalty should belong to him. All of our affection and our love should be directed towards him. They don't like those kinds of ideas, but whatever their pet project is they're trying to accomplish, they want to leverage Jesus for their agenda. Well, what's happening, I think what we'll see as, this, as culture continues to trend in that direction is that that nominal Christianity is going to get squeezed out. And so it's no longer going to be cool or popular or impressive to be a fan of Jesus. And so either it's going to polarize you on one side or the other, where you're going to cling to Jesus and hold fast to his teaching, or you're going to continue to head the other direction and reject Jesus, not hold fast to his teaching, uh, and head off into kind of dictating and determining what the norms and values and governing direction for your life should be on your own. Now the church has, this is, this is a wake-up call for us. I can remember as a, as a child, um, I, I didn't like to get up out of bed in the mornings. And my mom didn't either. And so my dad, he's a very loving and kind man, he would take a water gun and place it in the refrigerator. Okay, And so he would put it in the refrigerator overnight. And so whenever we didn't want to get out of bed in the morning, he would come into our rooms and he would take the water gun and he'd begin to squirt us with the water gun. And so cold water waking you up out of a dead sleep, man, your eyes pop open and it's like... <gasps> Right? It's a little bit chilly, okay? And that's kind of what's taking place to the church because the church has been asleep for a really long time in the life of our culture. We have not necessarily been concerned about engaging in the mission that Jesus has left us of making disciples. We've been very concerned about how can I fix my marriage or how can I raise my kids or how can I fix my finances, but we have not necessarily been concerned about seeing people's crossing over from death to life, from darkness to light, from despair to hope, and engaging in the mission of taking the gospel to the world. And so it's been a kind of a wake-up call for the church. It's kind of been one of those <gasps> moments where we've kind of been, been shocked out of this slumber that the church has been in for the last century or so. As much of the systems and cultural values have been supportive of biblical norms. Now that they're turning the opposite direction, it's been kind of a shock for us as a church. And we've been awakened from that slumber. We've been awakened from sleep in a very shocking way. And I think one of the things, if we're going to shift from being fans of Jesus to followers of Jesus, if we're going to make that shift in our mindset, we've got to realize, as we said the very first week when we talked about this whole concept, in our Luke chapter 14, when Jesus says these words in Luke 14, 26, He says, If anyone comes to me and he does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, the Greek word in under life in our English text, we said a couple of weeks ago, is the, is the word suke, which would literally be translated soul. And in this context, what Jesus is saying, if you don't even hate your own life, he's saying, if you want to lay aside your own desires and dreams, your own aspirations and agendas, he says, if you want to lay aside those things, to choose Jesus above your own desires and say no to the things that perhaps your heart is longing for that are inconsistent with what his will reveals. And if you won't say yes to Jesus in every circumstance and choose him even above those things that you're aspiring toward and what your agenda is leading you down in the direction of then Jesus says you can't be my disciple you can't follow me your life won't be ordered around me it won't be ordered around who I am and where I'm going and what I'm doing 
And one of the things that we've got to, to put to death, one of the ways we've got to choose Jesus above our dreams and desires, our aspirations and agendas, is in relationship to, and, and listen, all of us feel this, all of us have this fleshly desire to want to have, maintain respectability in the eyes of the world, don't we? We all want to be seen as people who get it. We all want to be seen as people uh, who are very tolerant and very open. We all want to be seen to some degree as people um, who are, 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 have a respectability. We're cultured, right? And so we're on the right side of history. We all, we, we, there's this pool in our hearts because we want people to like us, to kind of go down, to continue down that larger channel and that larger current when the boulder of Christ falls. Are we going to cling to Jesus or are we going to walk away from Him? And listen, one of the ways that we've got to die to our own dreams and desires is be willing, willing to lose respectability in the eyes of the world to say yes to Jesus and choose Him. And to begin to say no to some of our desires, no to some of our aspirations, no to some of our dreams. I just want people to like me. I just want to fit in. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to cause any kind of rift. I don't want to make any, cause any kind of, kind of division. But Jesus himself says in the text that we just read, that we just read in out of John's gospel, he says, that's coming if you're going to follow me. That's coming. And I think if we're going to be followers of Jesus, not just fans of Jesus, then you and I have to come to terms with it's going to cost us at times our respectability in the eyes of the world. Because what Jesus does in John chapter 15 is he kind of pushes reset for us and he resets our expectations of what it means to follow him. He resets our expectations. I want you to look at what he says in John 15, the text that we read a moment ago. In verse uh, 18, he says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hates you. If, the, if they persecute you, know that they persecuted me before they persecuted you. And then he comes to, to draw up to, kind of in a conclusive way. He says, A servant is not greater than his master. In other words, what they did to me, they're going to do to you. And they're going to do it to you precisely because they did it to me. So in other words, Jesus says the world, and by the, by the world, what Jesus is referring to there is kind of a society of rebels who are making war against God. He says the world, the, the way the culture it operates and functions in relationship to Jesus, in relationship to who God is and how He's revealed Himself in Christ, the world will persecute, the world will hate, the world will despise you, and the world will tell you always you're on the wrong side of history whenever you cling to Jesus. When you seek to hold fast to His teaching. When you seek to choose him above everything else and everyone else, the world will say, you're on the wrong side of history. And they will spew hatred and they will, spew the, they will despise you. Jesus says you should expect that. It shouldn't come as a shock to you. And one of the things that's happening as we've kind of awakened to this new reality and the new world in which we live is that it's come as a shock to many Christians. They go, what is this? Why are people so anti-Jesus? Why are people so anti-Christianity? Isn't this a Christian nation? It's come as a shock to so many people. But Jesus says here, it shouldn't shock you. It shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to be awakened out of that slumber. 
Because the expectation is that the culture around you is going to run down a parallel track, not a perpendicular one. They're not going to cross. They're going to run parallel to each other. These two kingdoms are going to run parallel to each other until the time that Jesus returns to make all things new, set everything right. And so it should not shock us whenever we cling to Jesus and we hold to Jesus and we seek to cling to his teaching and hold fast to his teaching if the world says, listen, you're wrong. And they begin to spew hatred. They begin to despise us. And they begin to neglect us. And we lose the, the cultural influence that we may have had. In fact, Peter's going to say this to, his, to this group of Christians that he's writing to in First Peter. He's going to say, listen, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. That's the language he uses. That comes upon you because of your faith. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be kind of awakened. You shouldn't have those <gasps> kind of moments. Jesus says. And my suspicion is that lots of the folks, and when you see kind of what takes place on the social media feeds, and you see self-professing Christians who are not just speaking truth, but they're, man, they are, they are reacting violently in ways that are very unhealthy. And they're con- very condemnatory in their tone. And they're very... Um, They're spewing hatred back across the other side of the fence. And I think a part of the reason is because those individuals are more fans of Jesus than they are followers of Jesus. And what's happening is that their comfort is becoming infringed upon. And they're not willing to die to their dreams and aspirations, uh, their desires and their agendas. My agenda and my dream is to live a comfortable, self-fulfilled life in in a land where I have the freedom to do what I want to do. And as soon as someone imposes or infringes upon that, right, that's what they think Christianity is. They impose and infringe on that. They react violently because they're not following Jesus and willing to lay their lives down. They're more concerned about their comfort than they are the conversions of people who are around them. But Jesus says, if they hated me, they will hate you. If they despise me, they will despise you. If they persecuted me, there will be some who will persecute you. They reject me, they will reject you. Jesus resets our expectations for what it means to be his follower. There's probably never been another culture in human history outside of ours in the last several hundred years that has been so wedded, so wedded to the Christian faith. In fact, the church in its earliest, from its earliest days, part of the reason that it was so distinctive in the world in which it was living was because the world was seeking to crush it. Because they hated what they were saying about Jesus. They hated what they were saying about who God was and how He revealed Himself. Jesus says, don't be surprised. You shouldn't be shocked. And then he goes on to tell us, here's the reason why they're going to hate you. In verse 21, listen to what he says. In verse 21, he says, All these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Literally rendered out of the Greek text, it reads this way. They will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they are not of the household of him who sent me. They're not a part of the same family. They're not a part of the same family. They're not a part of the same household. They don't have the same father. They're not submitting to the same authority in their life. 
And so, yes, they're going to rise up and oppose. They're going to rise up and hate. They're going to rise up and spew all kinds of despicable slander against the people who they deem to be on the wrong side of history. D.A. Carson, when he commented on this text, he said this. He said, the world is a society of rebels. The world is a society of rebels and therefore finds it hard to tolerate those who are in joyful allegiance to the king to whom all loyalty is due. Carson says, listen, the world is living in rebellion against God and so they're going to fire at those who are living underneath his sovereign and saving rule. They're going to fire at those who are living underneath his rule and reign. Those who are giving all of their loyalty and all of their allegiance, all of their love and all their affection is directed to Jesus. Then those who are living in rebellion against Jesus, it makes sense that they're going to continue to fight against Jesus by fighting against those who are submitted to him. So Jesus says, don't be shocked and don't be surprised. Because they're not a part of the same family. Now listen, one of the ways I think that we can begin to see whether or not we're living as fans of Jesus or followers of Jesus is if we begin to take a look at how people respond to us whenever we speak to them about who He is. When we share the gospel with them, the news that we are reporting, the news that we are delivering, how do they respond to us? Let me show you a distinction here because from the message of the gospel for fans of Jesus is this. They show up and they say, your life is empty and you need God to fill you. Right? Fans of Jesus, they show up and they say, listen, your life is empty. You, you, you need something to fill. You need God to fill you to make your life fulfilling. You need God to make you uh, happy. You need God to make you joyful. So they show up and they say, you, you, you need something that God can provide for you, but it's a, an inner sense of peace. It's this inner sense of fulfillment. It's this inner sense of joy. Your life is empty. You need God to fill you. And that's why most fans of Jesus, they get this kind of response. It's a very indifferent response. Well, that might be okay for you, but it's not, it, it doesn't do anything for me, right? Because I have all these other things to fill me. So I've got my vocation to fill me, and I've got my relationships to fill me, and I've got my, my home to fulfill me, and I've got my, my dreams and my agendas and my aspirations to, to fill me up. And so for fans of Jesus, they get a very indifferent response to the gospel message they're proclaiming. Because they say, you are unhappy you need God to make you happy you are unfulfilled you need God to fill you you're empty you need God to fill you up and so you get this very indifferent kind of response but whenever you look at what Jesus says about what the gospel is and what Paul writes about whenever he articulates the gospel message it doesn't say you're empty you need God to fill you what the, what the authors of the scriptures indicate the gospel is, the good news is this, is that your sin, your unrighteousness, and your self-righteousness are an offense to God. And you need God to rescue you from His just judgment. Your unrighteousness and your self-righteousness, both, all the ways that you think you're better than everyone else, it's an offense to God. All the ways that you, all the, all the things that you do in direct opposition to what his word teaches is an offense to God. And he says, you need someone to, re- the, the gospel is your sin, your self-righteousness and unrighteousness are an offense to God. You need someone to rescue, not your life is empty, you need God to fill you. Over and over and over and over and over again in the scriptures, 
You see, the latter is the message and not the former. And this message of the gospel that you are, your sin is an offense to God and you need God to rescue you from his just judgment, it doesn't tend to elicit a response of indifference where they go, that's okay for you but not okay for me. It intends to either elicit a response of reception, people receive that news, or they reject that news and they reject the messenger who delivers that news. They either receive it or they reject it. Whenever you show up and you tell someone their sins and offense to a holy God and their righteous deeds are like a, a dirty rag, Paul talk, or Isaiah talks about in Isaiah chapter 64, that all their merits that they try and bring up to God in order to make themselves acceptable and appealing in God's eyes are nothing more than a dirty rag. When you show up and you tell someone that news... And you tell them that they are not saved, accepted, or set right by what they do, but by what Jesus has done. That message doesn't elicit an indifferent response. To tell someone that God the Father has created you for His glory and not yours, that Jesus is the King of all creation whose sovereign and saving rule must be yielded unto, and that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin, gives us new life, and conforms us to the image of Jesus is much different than telling someone that God wants them to be emotionally fulfilled, follow their hearts, and enjoy life. There's a big difference, and it elicits a different response. And if all you're receiving is a response of indifference whenever you talk to people about Jesus, whenever you try and share that news with them, it may be that you're not reporting the news, that the, the accurate story. Because the, for, the latter elicits a response of reception or rejection, not indifference. Because the very first plank in the story, the very first, the lead line in the story, or one of the lead lines in the story of the good news of the gospel that we're sharing is bad news. It's bad news about our sin. And listen, that will either, that will either sever the roots of pride in the hearts of people and they will receive the good news that Jesus has lived and died in their place, or... It will either sever their hearts or the pride in their hearts will choke it out. It will starve it and suffocate it. You know, I'm not that bad. And they'll begin to compare themselves to everyone else around them. One of the two. It either sever that root or it will suffocate the seed. What kind of response do you get whenever you talk to people about Jesus? Do you talk to about Jesus as the king of all creation, not just a good teacher who can help you be emotionally fulfilled? Do you talk about Jesus as the God who deserves all of our worship and adoration, all of our affection and our allegiance? Or do you talk about him as um, your, kind of your friend who helps you get over really difficult spots in your life? See, how are you presenting the message? Because how you see Jesus will determine how you speak of Jesus. Do you see him as the king? Do you see him as Lord? Do you see him as God? Do you see him as ruler? Do you see him as having authority in your life that is sovereign and saving? Or do you just see him as um, the way to emotional fulfillment, which is what our culture is basically looking for? Jesus says, don't be surprised. They're not a part of the same family. They're not a part of the same family. And whenever you talk to them about your father, when you talk to them about your elder brother, Jesus, how are you presenting him? How are you talking about him? Because the way you talk about him will determine how they respond to him. Now Jesus says, don't be surprised, but I also think in this text, and we'll close with this, he also gives us 
I think there's at least four things here, and they're going to be quick. Okay? I owe you some time from last week. They're going to be quick. There's four things here that Jesus indicates that should galvanize us to face the hostility that will come against us, the animosity that will rise up against us. Whenever we talk about Jesus as the king of all creation and people reject that and they don't receive it and they spew hatred against us and tell us that we're on the wrong side of history. There's four things that Jesus says you got, you, you, you got to nail down in order to, to have the stamina, in order to have the perseverance to continue to press forward. And the first one is this. He said, you have, to, you have to nail down the love of the church. You've got to understand the love of the church. Look back in 12 to 17 of John 15. What does Jesus say? In John chapter 15, verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. He gets down to verse 17. He talks about how they're no longer his servants, but his friends. He shared with them everything the Father is doing. He said, this is my mission. This is your mission. This is what God has sent me to do. This is what I'm sending you to do. I want you to go and bear fruit. I chose you to go and bear fruit. I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Now go and bear fruit. And as you're going and bearing fruit, he says, verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. I want you to be engaged in mission together so that it creates this family tie and this bond that is deeper than any of the animosity, any of the hatred, any of the disdain, or any of the the despising that you receive from the world. Because he moves straight out of verse 17 and verse 18. He says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that they hated me first. And listen, in the day... in in kind of this post-Christian era, this post-Christian culture into which the church is entering as we've been kind of shocked awake because many of us have been asleep. You need the love of the church, of a family who's going to support you, who's going to affirm you, who's going to challenge you, who's going to encourage you, who's going to equip you to be surrounded by people who are saying, I choose Jesus and cling to Him as well. And listen, if you, you've got no shot, <laughs> you've got no shot in this culture. If the church becomes, takes back seat to everything and everyone else in your life. If the church takes the back seat and becomes kind of a throwaway on Sunday mornings or on Tuesday nights for life group or on Sunday nights for small group as you meet to pray with each other, talk about the Bible, encourage each other. If that takes back seat to your hobbies or interests, if that takes a back seat to your, your, your sports teams and uh, your vacations, if that takes a back seat and you look up and you go, man, we've been, we've been to like... Church ten times this year and life group three times. You got no shot. You got no shot of having a viable witness in the face of that animosity and the hostility that the world will continue to spew. You need people around you who are loving you and laying their lives down for you in the way that Christ has laid his life down for us. So love of the church, second thing that he says in this context that we need in order to face that kind of hostility, that kind of animosity, is not only the love of the church, but the witness of the Spirit. Look what he says in verses 26 to 27. 
So he gets down to the end of that text. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus says the Spirit is coming. I'm sending him. He proceeds from the Father. And whenever he arrives, he's going to testify or give witness to the truth about who I am. So there is going to be an internal witness of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus' church. And if the Spirit it is the Spirit that unveils our eyes, the Spirit that enlightens our minds, the Spirit that awakens our hearts, the Spirit that convicts, the Spirit that comforts, the Spirit that calls, and it is the Spirit that persuades us that what Jesus said is true, what Jesus did is unique, and who Jesus is is God. The Spirit, you're reliant upon the Spirit and the witness of the Spirit in your heart to say, I'm not going to turn away from Jesus in the face of this hostility. I'm not going to turn away from Jesus in the face of this animosity. I'm not going to turn away from Jesus no matter how hard things get. I'm going to choose and cling to Him above everything and everyone because the Holy Spirit has persuaded me of who He is. He is God. And he is worthy of all my allegiance and affection, all my love and loyalty, no matter what anyone else says or does. The love of the church, the witness of the Spirit, also the affection of the Father. You've got to be reminded of the affection of the Father. In verses 16 and 19, and then also, uh, or, I'm sorry, in verses 16 and 19, Jesus refers to the choosing work of the Father, the electing work of the Father through the Son. And Jesus says, you didn't choose me. You didn't, you didn't come running after me saying, sign me up for all this. Jesus says, I chose you. And I set you apart. And I appointed you to bear fruit. I appointed you to do this work that I've called you to do as a church, to witness to me, to the world. And before you go, well, he's just choosing those individuals uh, who, who are going to be his apostles, who are going to be his disciples during his earthly ministry. That's what he's referring to here. He's not talking about Christians in general. He's just talking about the disciples. But you've got to remember something. The Bible, the Bible was written about people to a people. Okay? So when John's writing this, he's writing about his experience with Jesus to everyone else who's going to have a similar experience with Jesus. And so when John's writing to us, he's not just saying, hey, here's how it was with us. He's saying, here's how it will be for you as well. And that Jesus didn't, didn't, he doesn't say, listen, you, you came clamoring after me and, and you decided you wanted to follow me, but no, I chose you for myself. I set my affection upon you to love you. To love you. When you did not deserve it, you did not earn it, there was nothing that you brought to me other than your dirty rags. In fact, Derek Webb, um, a Christian songwriter, um, he wrote a song years ago in which he talks about the, the work of God in our lives. And he says, listen, all you brought to the party was your history. He says, you bring all your history, I'll bring the bread and wine, and we'll have us a party where all the drinks are on me. See, all we bring to Jesus is our history, and all he brings to us is his body and blood for our sin in our place. The Father says, you're mine. And out of God's great love, you cross from death to life, from darkness to light, from despair to hope. 
And so when things get hard and whenever hatred begins to, to, to rise and animosity begins to be spewed because you're clinging to Jesus and choosing him above everything and everyone, you go, it wasn't I that chose to follow Jesus, but Jesus who's come to me and saved me. I didn't climb up the rung, so I'm going to climb back down the ladder now and go the opposite direction. But he chose me, and I'm going to hold on to him because he's holding on to me first. I didn't love him first. He loved me first. So you've got to have the love of the church in your life. It can't be a throwaway, dispensable item. You've got to have people who are loving you and laying their life down for you. People who are encouraging you and equipping you. People who are challenging you and comforting you and convicting you with the words that they speak. You've got to have the witness of the Spirit who's saying, persuading you, don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Cling to Jesus and choose Him because He is who He says He was. All the signs that He demonstrated in John's Gospels give rise to the evidence of Jesus' divinity and His authority and His identity. Hold on to Him. The Spirit's persuading you of that. The Father is saying, you are mine. But finally... You also have to see, and you also have to know the life of the Son. The life of the Son. Jesus says, if they hate you, remember they hated me first. If they persecuted you, they persecuted me first. I think of the text in the book of Hebrews whenever the author of Hebrews says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. But fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him despised the, the, uh, endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So whenever animosity begins to rise and hostility begins to mount, he says, you look at Jesus and you see, you see that he endured the same opposition from, from sinful men that you are enduring from the world as it despises you, that you're enduring from the, from the world as it tries to shame you, that you're enduring from the world as it, as it spews hatred toward you. So you got to see the life of the Son, that he is not, that he is well acquainted with your suffering. He knows exactly what you're experiencing as you cling to him in this life in a culture that becomes more and more hostile around you. But you not only have to see that he endured sinful opposition from, or opposition from sinful men, but you also have to see in the life of the Son that he endured it for them. If you only see that he endured it from them, then you go, well, Jesus is my example. I'm going to try and do the best I can like him. But if you, can see, if you see that he endured that opposition, not only from them, but he endured it for them. And for who? For me. And from you. That he endured opposition from me. That he endured the resistance and rebellion from me for me. That he endured your opposition and your rebellion and your resistance from you for you. So that God's just judgment on sin would fall upon him at the cross that you might be free. 
to stand and say thank you for the cross. Even if the world despises it, even if the world rejects it, even if the world doesn't say, I'm going to bring, bow my knee and bend my will before the will and authority and identity of Jesus, I am. I'm going to cling to him in everything and at all times. Because the cross, part of the reason that he went to the cross was for me. For my sin, put him there. And so you look to him not only as your example, but also as your substitute. Jesus says, if you're going to continue to press forward on this mission that God has given you, that he's called you to make disciples, he's called you to live on mission, and you're going to face hostility, you're going to face animosity, you've got to have the love of the church body that is encouraging you and equipping you, that's comforting you and correcting you. You've got to have the witness of the Spirit who is persuading you that He is who He says He is. Hang on to Him. You've got to have an understanding that it wasn't you that chose Him, but He that chose you. And you have to look at the life of the Son and all the sin that He endured on your, all the suffering that He endured on your behalf. So, no, so then you stand and say, all right, the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how hostile it is, no turning back. Fans of Jesus don't sign up for that. But Jesus says his followers should expect it and sign up for it to his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we come today, we thank you for your your word and God how it speaks into the context in which we are living in this day and time. And Father, we at times, even though our hearts grow cold and our affection uh, dwindles, Father, may your spirit continue to prompt and persuade. May your church continue to encourage and equip. May we continue to look at the great love with which you've loved us. That we did not love you first, but you loved us first. May we look at your son. Who not only suffered all kinds of opposition from us, but also for us. So that we would move out to the world, not with a message that they are empty and need to be filled. But with a message that their unrighteousness, all the things that they would do in rebellion against you, and their self-righteousness, all the things they think they would bring to you to make themselves acceptable, both of those are an offense to you. And they need to be rescued from your just judgment on sin. And the only place to do that is to bend their knee and bow their wills before the sovereign king of all creation, son and Father we know that that message will elicit either reception or rejection we will either receive applause or we will be despised 
God, also help us and give us clarity around whether or not whether or not our personalities and our presentation is offensive or the message that we are presenting is offensive. God, help us not to be a people whose personalities and presentation is offensive and that we're going out looking to offend people. But rather, we would just present the message as it's revealed in Scripture and if it offends the sensibilities of the world in which we live, God, I pray that we would say, I expected that doesn't surprise or shock me and that we would die we would die to our desire to be seen as cultured as modern, as current and that we would cling to your son and his words I pray this in Jesus name